back to Beyond Well with Sheila Hamilton. I hope you're all doing well. And Dr. Polo and I have been having so much fun kind of diving deeper in to the integral parts of ourselves, those things that we call emotions and how we tick. And one of the emotions that has always been so interesting to me is jealousy. Is jealousy an emotion? Well, it's so often thought of in the context of romantic relationships, like a boyfriend who finds his girlfriend with another person. But we all know that this feeling can occur in almost every type of human relationship, from siblings who compete for parental attention to our coworkers. Even my dog has jealousy, Dr. Polo. <laughs> How are you today? It's so good to see you. Good to see you too. So is jealousy an emotion? Is it one of the basic emotions? Jealousy is actually a very complex set of emotions. It can be followed by a lot of complex behaviors as well, too. So it's it's really quite, um, you know, I, I guess the way I would start this discussion is to identify, first of all, highlight that there's a very subtle difference between jealousy and envy. Jealousy is fear essentially of losing something that you think you already have versus envy, which is really wanting something that you don't have. Mm, right. Yeah. And so when it comes to relationships and we're jealous, we're usually fearing that somehow there's some competitor out there that's going to take away that person that we feel is already ours, so to speak. Right. And that's in the context of relationships. But I hope that we spend enough time today talking about the way that social media has kind of morphed all of us into being these jealous mongers of other people's lives oh, yes. and their things and their oh, yes. so. So yes. let's just get started with, and, and we'll stick on jealousy for a while, and then maybe we can actually touch on envy as well. But jealousy in some ways is probably a healthy response if indeed you do stand to lose something, correct? Yeah. It's important to recognize that jealousy, and you alluded to this earlier, it's been seen in all cultures, and it's been seen very young in children. I mean, yeah. literally uh, under a year old, scientists have been able to kind of study from a sociologic perspective and demonstrate that young little kids can uh, certainly demonstrate elements of jealousy. But, you know, jealousy ultimately is a very complex set of feelings that come out of a sense of low self-esteem, a sense of insecurity, a fear, a fear of loss, you know, that there's some tangible threat to the essence of who you are such that you feel that there's something missing, something inadequate, mm -hmm. then there can be quite a response. There can be so, quite a response. So I want to uh, first deal with the potential positive aspects of it. I'm, I'm watching a great Netflix binge right now called The Affair, I think it is. Anyway, okay. it starts with a person, a woman, a loving woman, wife, who believes everything's great in her marriage. And she has this sinking gut feeling that something is wrong in her marriage. And then she identifies the woman who indeed her husband is having an affair with. In that sense, it acted, her jealousy acted as an early warning system, right? It's a positive thing. Yes. It is actually alerting us. So when does it become not positive, Dr. Polo? So that is a very good example. And this applies to many emotions. In your example, the jealousy acted as a warning sign that she was able to pick up on early yes that helped her identify hey there's a problem yeah where jealousy becomes problematic is actually in the behavior that comes subsequent 
So for example, you know, for somebody that is a, you know, very controlling individual, their behavior might be one that is just maladaptive, restricting the person, controlling them, uh, finding this rival and beating them up. So where it becomes maladaptive is usually in the behavior afterwards. So for example, a good response might be, Hey, well, what's wrong in the relationship and what can I work on? Uh Or, Hey, I chose the wrong guy and maybe this is not the right relationship for me and I need to get out of it. Okay. That would be probably a, those two opposites would be probably pretty healthy versus, oh, I'm going to stalk this person and, you know, flatten their tires or, you know, beat them up or whatever. I mean, that would then be maladaptive. Can I talk about the maladaptive thing? Because I hear about that more often in women who are on the verge of being in situations where there could be domestic violence and these control issues that have spun out of control. So how do you recognize that personality type and those potential behaviors early on? It's not easy to identify those behaviors until an individual is being threatened because people respond in different ways. There are clear response patterns that we see when folks have significant jealous feelings. They might be restrictive. In other words, they hold back. They're silent. You don't like me. I'm not giving you anything back. They can be confrontive to the rival. Hey, I'm going to go approach this person. I'm going to do something. They can focus on their partner that they feel is doing something and they they can guilt them or they can look for loyalty tests or they might even try to overcome and compensate. Gee, I'm going to give them a gift. Now they'll like me better. Mm-hmm. Or the worst case is they become violent and aggressive. Hey, I'm going to act out my sense of how I'm feeling through some kind of a behavior. It's also important to notice uh, that there are gender differences when it comes to jealousy. And in general, women are going to be a little bit more sensitive to that emotional component. So the fear is really about being abandoned mm-hmm. by the partner. Men, interestingly enough, are more fearful of an adequacy. And so they're more focused on sexual type abandonment, which is really not about abandonment, but about feeling like somehow they're physically not adequate and and by default don't have something that they really want to have that their partner is looking for. So from my perspective, it's almost, it, it goes back to that original idea that men tend to be more physical. Women tend to be more emotional. And frankly, the emotional is a higher level. Yeah. Right, <laughs> More right. depth. Yeah. So, um, so could we talk about uh, first, if you begin to kind of see these behaviors in yourself and you don't like it and you kind of want to check yourself and maybe start um, thinking about new ways of adapting. And then secondly, if you see these in other people, what are some of the conversations you can have to say, I'm noticing this and why is this occurring and what can we do about it? So let's start with, with ourselves first. Yeah. So this is an important question and I'll tell you why this becomes so important. Let's go back to your example of the early warning system. Yeah. Sometimes your early warning system is correct. Hey, I'm noticing my, my spouse is not paying attention to me or they're constantly gone. And let's say they really are involved with somebody else. Now your warning system helped, but there are some people that have that sense of jealousy and their spouse isn't doing anything at all. Mm. And now they're acting on these fears of inadequacy. They're acting on this sense uh, of abandonment. They're acting on this sense of inadequacy, which is now affecting the relationship. 
mm. even though nothing was going on in the first place. And that's where it can be really problematic. And so, you know, for individuals that notice in themselves, you know, am I overreacting? Yeah. You know, when you start focusing a tremendous amount of time and energy to check and double check, mm-hmm. those can be those early signs that, you know, it's really about you. You're inadequate in terms of what you're feeling. What's that really all about? And the problem is, truthfully, a lot of us can't recognize that in ourselves early, but other people will sometimes point it out. And in fact, the person that usually points it out is the very person that we're worried about. (laughs) There's a difficulty here in that the best cheaters are very good gaslighters as well. Oh, yes. Oh, so, yes. So how so do the, you determine, you know, oh here my you are, gosh. Like, right? Here and I am. That's where know, this I'm gets the, so complex because right. they're, oh, you've heard of those relationships where, you know, one individual is always playing around or whatever, yeah. but they know exactly how to make the other person feel like you're blowing it out of proportion. You don't know what you're talking about. It's all about you. It's not yeah. about me and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, unfortunately, those are very destructive relationships, you know, and, and, and luckily those aren't overly common. I mean, I know you see that in movies and you see it on shows and so forth, but the grand majority of relationships aren't really like that. And in fact, the grand majority of folks that are in a relationship where it's falling apart, they usually are upfront about the fact that things are going on. This is not working out. Maybe we need something different. Yeah. It's kind of not normal to really be in a relationship that you want to kind of covet and keep the way it is while you're really involved in this secret relationship somewhere else. That's actually not the norm. Yeah. When you are dealing with someone who is beginning to show this kind of behavior, you still love them, but this kind of behavior is really problematic and it, and it takes up a lot of psychic energy in the room. (laughs) Yes. Yes. How do you have a compassionate conversation with that person? Because these inadequacies are baked so early in our childhood. Yeah. Yeah. What, What I usually try to do is I try to focus on the three components of actually what goes into the, the psychological dynamics behind this. So, so the first component is you yourself, who are you? What are you? What are you about? What are your positives? What are your negatives, et cetera, so on and so forth. Second, the other person, same thing. What are they? What are they about? What do they believe? What are their positives? What are, what are their negatives? And then there's the third component, which is the comparison. And the comparison is of what you think you're lacking or what you think the other person is doing versus what is real and not. Mm. Okay. It's really hard to try to help somebody be something different than, than what they already are. So it doesn't help if somebody is feeling that there's a problem in their relationship because they don't have a skill or they don't have a quality or, you're generally not going to coach them into creating that. What, what you're going to help them with is, well, what about you makes you special that you should feel okay with? And oh, by the way, other people will be too. Mm-hmm. I'll just give you a simple example. Oftentimes in marriages that start early in life, both individuals are young and they're beautiful and they're vibrant and youthful and great skin and great weight, <laughs> all that other stuff. Okay. 
fast forward 10 years, you know, they've had a couple kids. They're a little older, a little heavier, maybe a little grayer. And they start feeling a little inadequate as if uh, the spouse is going to be looking at somebody else. that was a reflection of them five, 10 years ago. Yeah, they start right. thinking about I'm inadequate here and there. And, and rather than trying to focus on, well, you should lose weight that that will help. No, 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 no. Hey, you're not 20 anymore. You're 35. And where you are for 35 is just fine. And furthermore, you should feel okay about it. By the way, so will somebody else. So it's a very tough approach to helping people do two things. How do they handle their own emotions relative to jealousy in terms of being comfortable with who they are? Mm. At the same time that how do you keep that at bay so that the relationship doesn't suffer? There are just a few behaviors that we should just know really are unacceptable. And that is when a person begins using that kind of controlling behavior so that you don't get to see your family or friends, you know, yes. violence. Are there any others in there that you would say it's absolutely non-negotiable? You, you must be able to get somewhere safe when this yes. occurs. So, so I would highlight, first of all, that the controlling behavior can come out in so many different ways. Mm. It can be everything from controlling activities, controlling location, Vacation. looking at the gas mileage on the car. Uh-huh. Uh, where have you been checking on the phone? Uh, you know, technology has really made this ability to monitor others much easier. Oh yeah. You know, I had a patient who she and her husband, they had this, uh, this thing on their mobile phones where you knew where the other person was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's supposed to husband, be for safety, not jealousy. Uh, exactly. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking this is a good thing to have for your teenager. Yeah, so, right. you know, you know, you know where they are cause they yeah. never respond. Okay. But to her, you know, surprise, her husband was tracking everywhere she went and, oh. and he would like quiz her. Oh, so did you go out today? Um, I ran some errands. Oh, okay. Did you go to Target? Oh, yeah, I did. Well, you were there for two hours. What were you doing? You know, that's not healthy. <laughs> I just got like chills down my arm it, because that creeped well, me out so much. And and here's why I use that as an example. The very extreme of that controlling behavior can actually be stalking. Stalking okay. your own partner. Stalking your own partner, wow. uh, cyber stalking. And unfortunately that happens. And of course, sometimes in relationships, that then can also lead to violence. And are the men that are most prone to do that kind of obsessive control also known to be violent? Is that kind of a precursor to to the violence? What I would say is that when somebody is that controlling, they're more likely to go to the extremes to keep yes, the control. It's the it's the fear of losing control mm-hmm. that pushes them to to take a greater step, whether it's taking away keys or whether it's hitting or, 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 or whatever. Right. Now, keep in mind that what's at the root of that kind of sense of desired control is really a tremendous, overwhelming sense of inadequacy. There's mm. something about me that that's wrong. And because of that, I'm going to lose what I think I already have, which wow. is this relationship. It's very complex. I, I want to spend enough time on envy today because I'm fascinated, first of all, by how they feel the same in some weird ways, but how envy has become so popularized and so almost acceptable because of social media. Yes. Is yes. there anything else we should touch on on jealousy before we move on? No, I, 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 I think the important thing for, for folks to remember is that when we think in terms of jealousy, when we're talking about jealousy, we're really talking about a relationship 
-hmm. and fear of losing something. That's really the essence of jealousy. I think your question is a really great one in in terms of what social media is pushing, which is this idea of envy. We we all want something that someone else has, or we all want someone else's image. Okay. So envy is really more about trying to get something that you don't have because somehow you think if you get that, that somehow gives you more of a sense of of fullness. The thing that's classic that people envy is they envy money. They look around at other people that are wealthy and they envy that because they somehow think if I have that money, then, then I'm going to be happy. Mm. And it's not true, but yeah, but it's what they think. And with social media, particularly in kids, you know, we're pushing really hard as a society, these images of what you should be and what you should look like and what you should have and what you should wear that somehow makes you better right. or full. I think this is a challenge really for kids because kids are so sensitive to wanting to be in a group, but they're so sensitive to wanting to be in a group and be okay. And they kind of want to stick out, but they kind of don't want to stick out. Mm -hmm. But kids are the ones that are often envious of everything that they think they're missing Mm -hmm. that for whatever reason in their minds, they think everyone else has. Right. Yeah. I think about that, you know, like I didn't really start reading all of those pop magazines until I was in really seventh grade. So I had all of that childhood with just imagination and not comparing and finding my self-worth in my own body and my own doing. And then I remember what that felt like to see those girls on the cover of that magazine with all that makeup and that hair oh, and, yes. and the way their bodies worked that were so different from mine. And I remember having envy for the first time and what a powerful, powerful feeling that is in your body. And it's it's the same for men because you're highlighting something that's been going on in, in our social world uh, for a couple of decades now. You know, when it comes to women, it's all about beauty and yeah. wonderful skin and the right makeup and no yeah. lines and no extra weight. But if you ever go to the grocery store and go to the magazine rack, look at how many magazines there are on men and muscles and strength right? and they're lifting this and that and so forth. So it's really happening for both genders. This idea that there's this idealized image that is the best, which of course is a very few set of people. You know, I just was talking to a mother whose um, son is 15 now, and she said this is the first time that uh, these teenagers will come of age who have been raised on laptops and iPads. And it is true that they've had phones since they were four or five and iPads. And this is a generation whose brain synapses were formed by scroll, 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 scroll. I like that image. I like that girl. I like that boy, you know. And so if there's any of those kids listening right now who have problems with envy, what would you say to them about where you can begin this work? Well, you know, the first thing I would remind them of is that remember that when you're looking online, you're not seeing real life. You're not seeing real people in in the way that it exists. You know, if you go to any sports website, they're going to show you all the great plays. They're going to show you all the the wins. They're going to show you all the great catches. They're going to show you all the great happenings. So if you're a young athlete striving to perform in whatever particular sport, you get this idea that everybody is really good. And, and gosh, I, I shot the basket and missed. Well, guess what? That's because media has a way of 
filtering out and only showing what people want to see, which is the good stuff. Okay. (laughs) So it's the same thing with image. You know, if, if you're on a website, they're not going to select average appearing individuals that are a reflection of real life. They're going to want to show you all these, you know, movie stars with, you know, great looks and, and so forth. And so for kids, it's important to, what I use to tell parents is you got to get your kids away from social media and get them involved in real relationships. And that's why this pandemic has been hard on kids because they're, they're locked in their little laptops more than before. Yeah. And I think a lot of parents probably just gave up with so few other resources for them to go to. They were kind of like, well, at least that's something that they're enjoying. But I do see the correlation between the rising self-reported mental health America assessments where kids are saying they are feeling way more depression, way more toxic anxiety and stress. And um, suicidality is almost double what it was uh, just five years ago. So I, I keep thinking that beyond just social media, there should be kind of a reminder for young people about the value of individualism, the uniqueness of our bodies and our minds and our lives. And I'm sure you have much better words for it than I do, but I'm so worried about young people. You know, it goes back to that classic, classic statement about a good book cannot be judged by its cover. Yeah. I'll share a story with you. I'll never forget. uh, This was like I don't know, 20, 30 years ago, there was a show that came on. I, I didn't actually watch it very much. I watched it a few times. It was, I think it was called 90201. It, yeah, it had to do with those kids in yeah. high school in Beverly Hills. Beverly Hills. Yeah. And I remember watching this show. It's like every kid was an athlete. Every kid was good looking. Every yeah. girl was beautiful. Everybody had a boyfriend, girlfriend. Every, like so, TikTok. And, <laughs> right. And now, I happen to be in my 20s. So I kind of like looked down on it like, oh, yeah. those are just high school kids, you know? Right. But to be honest, I remember being in high school and I remember feeling like I needed to compete with other people on all kinds of things. Was I tall enough? Was I big enough? You know, did I have the right cut of hair? Did I wear the right tennis shoe brand, et cetera? cetera. I mean, that's real. Mm -hmm. And the problem is with social media, and this goes along with television and movies and so forth, we're constantly projecting this image out to kids of what is that ideal kind of look. Mm. And it's not about look. It's actually about what's in your heart and what's in your mind. Yeah. And that's why I go back to the the thought of, you know, we've got to get kids thinking about what's inside a person that really matters rather than what you see on the outside. Yeah. It is fascinating to me because things like TikTok, which are fabulous algorithms because they just feed you more and more of what you want. It's these short snippets where that special talent or that special dance or that special skin or those eyes are are just 60 seconds of your thing. And then you flip along to the next 60 seconds of someone's brilliance and the next 60 seconds. And there's never sort of the work that leads up to them being able to right. do that or- right the interior of their minds or their bodies or how they really feel about themselves. Yeah. And so I would love to talk more about how do we have a relationship with social media where we make it reflective when yeah. we scroll and have an emotion, what is it saying about us? What is it telling us about ourselves? You know, it's interesting because I don't want to paint a picture that's totally negative because just like, jealousy can be that red flag. Sometimes envy can help you as well too. So mm-hmm. imagine the young child who is just starting a new sport. Okay. And uh, they're a little envious because Johnny over there, he can hit the ball every single time. 
and they decide, you know, I'd like to be like Johnny. I'm going to practice. I'm going to go home and I'm actually going to practice. And they start practicing and sure enough, they get better. And that's an example of where that initial thought that I'd like to be like that actually led to a constructive Mm. way of actually becoming better. You know, the reason why I highlight that is because these two emotions are very, very, very complex. Where they become problematic is the behavior that follows. And sometimes the behavior that follows can be practical and it can be good for us. Sometimes not so much so. So Dr. Polo, especially for parents who are noticing their kids spend an awful lot of time perseverating around this idea of what they don't have, what they've seen that they'd like, what they want. Do do you have any messages just for parents about how you can engage them in the real world? I know this sounds like a ridiculous question, but some people are really stuck with how do I get my kid actually having real human interaction again? The first thing that I would remind parents of when your child is focused on something that they see as a deficit in themselves, that Mm -hmm. that leads them to want whatever that is, I remind parents that one of the best things that you can actually do is remind kids of what they already have, what their talents really are. You know, the kid that really wants to be a great soccer player and for whatever reason, that's just not in the cards, but is a wonderful musician. So rather than focusing on, well, you can do soccer better or soccer's not important, which isn't going to work with a kid, shift it over to remind them of the talents that they already do have. Encourage them, value who they are for what they already are and what they already have. Okay. Mm, I love that. And then along the way, help them negotiate in a way that they can accept what's around them without having it become a focus of something they need because they're not defective. And the only way that you can do that is you've got to re-encourage who they already are. Mm-hmm. And you have to first be able to observe, identify, and appreciate it yourself, right? Absolutely. And the worst thing you can do as a parent is get upset at a child. You know, if they're feeling down because, you know, all the other kids are now tall and I'm short. Okay. Yeah. Don't get upset. That That's just a normal feeling. What about that child makes them special? Because obviously you can't make them grow. (laughs) They're going to grow at whatever rate they grow. Okay. I I think it's really important when kids are having these emotions to have parents that are loving them for who they are, Mm -hmm. supporting for the skills they have, and encouraging them to branch out and, and do new stuff, which means getting away from all the laptops and the mobile phones and so forth. I just want to leave you with my own story of, um, I was very short. I don't know if we've actually seen each other in person because we've done this since the pandemic. I'm 5'10 now. Oh and, my gosh, uh, you're tall. I was, uh, I was 5'2 in junior high or 5'3. I was very, very short. And um, I got cut from the basketball team in eighth grade. And it was devastating to me because my entire family were all athletes and everyone was really good at basketball and they'd all gotten their growth spurts very quickly. And I was devastated. And I floundered that summer and I floundered in my freshman year. And then finally this drama teacher suggested that I come over and try out for a play. Well, I got a really good part of the play, but I also grew five inches that year. (laughs) 
And I remember <laughs> the head of the basketball team coming back my sophomore year and asking if I wouldn't mind, please, coming back out to try out. Try out again, please. <laughs> but I had found my own individual path. And I kept saying, you know, my parents probably weren't wise enough to say, try something different. They only knew what they'd seen in their other kids to, to work. But boy, if you can just be open to that idea that there's so many things in creativity and in graphic design and in art and drama and, you know, that stuff saves kids' lives. You know, Sheila, what I love about your story is the simplicity of how you felt oh. and how it corrected itself with time because you grew. You, you didn't know yeah. you were going to grow and you just did. Yeah. And what I'll point out is, Every kid goes through some experience relative to themselves, just like yours. It may not be height. Yeah. It, 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 it may be hair color. It may be eyes. It may be whatever they visually think they're missing or whatever physical aspect of their, but all kids, e even the popular kids that are on the team have something that makes them feel less than, yeah. and it takes a little while to get through that. That's a pretty normal experience for all kids. Yeah. I just love being able to be creative enough, even in those moments when we're suffering to understand this search is going to lead you to where you need to be as a yeah. human being and trusting in that, you know? For parents that are encouraging their kids for who they are, the skills they have, those are the kids that are not likely to become jealous in their relationships as adults. <laughs> well, look how nicely you just like circled back to our original point and tied that up with a boat. Thanks again. And if you're listening, please give us a thumbs up on any platform where you are. You can also find out more about the topics that we've been talking about at our website at beyondwellwithsheilahamilton.com. And we love hearing from our listeners. Thanks and be well.